Jones, Australia's leading voice. Well, good evening and thank you for being with us here on ADH. The family is growing by the thousands every day. As I keep reminding you, if you miss something, it doesn't matter. It's always there on the app ADH on your smart TV or your smartphone. But it's also all there on the website, adh.tv. Don't forget the dot or your phone or your laptop, it's all there. Now, I know you're watching me live, but you can watch whenever it suits. It's called On Demand and we're there whenever you want to turn on the app. Well, we've got a bit going for you tonight. I spoke last night about the Great Reset. Nowhere is this more obvious or clear than in what's happening to Australia, read the initiatives concerning Indigenous Australians, which I might add, don't have the support of all Indigenous Australians. But we're falling over ourselves and every other day there's a cave-in and the latest is The Voice. I'll have more to say about that in just a moment. Last month I spoke to Professor Ian Plymer, the author of a magnificent book that no one in Canberra would have read they just keep preaching net zero emissions. Professor Plymer's book is called Green Murder, A Life Sentence of Net Zero with No Parole. Compulsory reading, chapter at a time. I'm going to talk to him again. The message is critical. Plenty of talk every day almost about China and Taiwan. I will be saying tonight that the state of the Chinese economy makes the threat to Taiwan, at least for now, look remote. And we'll go to America and speak to Peggy Grandy, where the Democrat strategies to sink Donald Trump have had the wind knocked out of their sails by the FBI's involvement, that's it, in the last presidential election and its overt determination to kill the Hunter Biden laptop story to cover up for Joe Biden. Peggy will join us for those extraordinary details. And more about the green hypocrites. Now it's Kylie Tink, the Teal member for North Sydney, who just happens to have shares in oil and gas. <laughs> this mob walk on both sides of the street, don't they? Stay with us, plenty happening. And thank you for your emails and your texts. One of my viewers last night thanked me for an hour long tutorial. I'm grateful. We are here to inform and entertain and we're not woke. But look, just before we go to the body of the program, news that John Farnham is responding well to care after that difficult surgery to remove a cancerous tumour from his mouth. But a tribute page has been established as a way for fans to send messages to John of love and support. It is the weloveyoujohn.com.au page. There it is on your screens, weloveyoujohn.com.au page. If you send your message, it will be shared with John and the family. You're watching ADH, I'm Alan Jones. I spoke last night about this thing called the Great Reset. I mentioned the World Economic Forum where its founder, Klaus Schwab, made it clear in 2020 that, and I quote, the pandemic represents a rare but narrow window of opportunity to reflect, reimagine and reset our world. Note that word reset. All aspects of our societies and economies must be revamped from education to social contracts and working conditions, unquote. Now, is there anyone amongst us who doesn't believe this is happening already. The worry is it's happening in the classrooms and the universities, and these people will be voting at future elections. Their minds have been reset. 
I mentioned the first year university student told to write an assignment on the impact of climate change on gender. Now remember this Klaus Schwab, the founder says, and remember this World Economic Forum has all sorts of billionaires and politicians flying in on private jets and they bang on about global emissions and income inequality because they're as rich as all hell and African dictators screaming about climate change and the need for immediate compensation from the West. Yes, it's a big money grab, but we know that. It's just a transfer of wealth, you see. But this mob, billionaires, politicians, hangers-on, endorse this stuff. All aspects of our societies and economies must be revamped. And as Professor Judith Sloan wrote of the media, quote, they churn out puerile pieces about the wonderful reform, reset initiatives being discussed by the hand-picked elites headed by Klaus Schwab. Well, that is being churned out right now, changing society. Well, according to what we're being told now, you and I don't own this country. We have to first be welcomed by Indigenous Australians. Isn't this the biggest change we've seen in the last 20 years? Everywhere you turn, everywhere you go, you have to be welcomed. In other words, you really don't belong. This place is owned by someone else. As the historian Keith Winshuttler said, this ritual is now virtually inescapable. From the opening of state and federal parliaments to writers' festivals, art exhibitions, academic conferences, school assemblies, indeed, anywhere those in the public sector gather, unquote. Well, the World Economic Forum is committed to changing all aspects of our societies and economies. Well, Lydia Thorpe, the Green Senator from Victoria, hates the Australian flag because it had connotations of invasion and dispossession. She wants to question, quote, the illegitimate occupation of our country and for people to know, quote, whose land they're on and that the first people, quote, never ceded sovereignty. The historian Keith Winshuttle said correctly, quote, two decades ago, this ritual was unknown. Welcome to country. He said, quote, it was introduced without public debate, let alone public support, and its authors have never been named or their purposes justified. This has been foisted on a mystified public as though it had the sanction of deep indigenous tradition, unquote. So the land we live on isn't actually ours, and we should be grateful that the traditional landowners allow us to generate wealth and a lifestyle from which all Australians benefit, including Indigenous Australians. Benefit, all right. The taxpayer provides more than $30 billion a year, $30,000 million, which goes somewhere to Indigenous Australians, no one knows where, to, quote, close the gap, unquote. And now we have The Voice. And Anthony Albanese recruits an American basketball legend to talk about a referendum on the Indigenous voice to Parliament. Malcolm Turnbull has changed his mind, but he did say in 2017 when he was the Prime Minister that his government, quote, does not believe such an addition to our national representative institutions is either desirable or capable of winning acceptance in a referendum. Unquote, Mr Turnbull said it was, quote, contrary to the principles of equality and citizenship, unquote. And while now he's saying he'll vote yes, he also said, quote, I will do so with some misgivings. There are powerful and legitimate arguments against it, unquote. So was O'Neill, the basketball player, supporting this constitutional change? He was with Prime Minister Albanese. The press conference lasted 20 seconds. And all O'Neill said was, 
whatever you need from me, just let me know, unquote. And then he wandered off. He didn't mention the voice, a referendum, or anything related to both. Even Lydia Thorpe described the recruiting of O'Neill as insulting. All of this because the public know nothing about it, except that it changes society and changes democracy. All we're told, no detail, is that this is a legacy-defining project. In other words, feel guilty if you oppose it. And the Prime Minister tells us that Australians from all walks of life, in every part of the country, from every faith, background and tradition, should embrace this reform, quote, because it speaks to values that we all share and honour, fairness, respect and decency. Pardon me, that is absolute nonsense. The referendum would be, he said, an important step in the journey of healing. Healing what? Who is healing the damage done that Jacinta Price has talked about to Indigenous Australians in the Northern Territory? This will do nothing for them. We already have 11 Indigenous voices in the National Parliament. Are we now being asked to support a race-based body to or in the Parliament which would change our system of government? Now, one of them won't tell us what the voice to Parliament would look like, but if an Indigenous woman like Jacinta Price who's lived amongst all the violence against women and children in the Northern Territory, if she says this proposal would do more harm than good, do we listen to Jacinta Price or Anthony Albanese? So, welcome to country, which the historian Keith Windshuttle rightly says, two decades ago, this ritual was unknown. And he rightly says, it was introduced without public debate, let alone public support. Then there's 30 billion a year, $30,000 million to close the gap. But every year the gap stays open. And now the voice. Where does this end? Well, I'll tell you something. Unless we wake up, it won't. Because we are building the view amongst all Australians, and especially the young, that we don't belong here. We're invaders. We only come if we're welcomed. And that breeds the view amongst militant activists that any demand based on that principle, is legitimate. The latest is this meaningless symbolism of voice to the parliament, about which we know nothing. And speaking of nothing, nothing will be achieved by it. These campaigns will go on until we stand up and say we won't cop the great reset of Australian values and Australian society. Well, look, last month I interviewed the distinguished Australian professor Ian Plymer, the author of a magnificent book which should be read by everybody, but I suspect not one of the know-alls in government in Canberra has even turned the first page. It's titled Green Murder, A Life Sentence of Net Zero with No Parole. I've previously said any number of times that we are facing the economic and energy crossroads. The new government without media or coalition opposition, though Peter Dutton has provided qualified opposition, but still talking about 50% renewables, they're barging headfirst into these energy targets. As I've said, I've seen nothing from the government or indeed the previous government that demonstrates what this means to consumers and business and what the costs and benefits might be. And when we talk about consequences, we still receive well over 60% of our energy from coal-fired power stations. Well, Professor Ian Plymer is Australia's best-known geologist. He's the Emeritus Professor of Earth Sciences at the University of Melbourne, where he was for 14 years the Professor and Head of Earth Sciences. He was the Professor of Mining Geology at the University of Adelaide for six years, and in 1991 was the German Research Foundation Professor of Ore Deposits 
at the Ludwig Maximilians Universität München in Germany. He's published more than 120 scientific papers, but of course, because he takes a contrary view to this whole climate change hysteria, Professor Plymer is rarely given a voice. Well, Professor Plymer will be given a voice on this program and often. You have asked me via your correspondence to talk to him again, and I'm happy to do so. That's what the correspondence is for. But the book Green Murder makes a mockery of everything that Bowen and co are saying. And Professor Plymer joins me. Ian Plymer, thank you for your time. And just tell us again, why did you call it Green Murder? Well, thank you for giving me a voice. The book was called Green Murder because the actions of the Greens kill people. We have seen that in the UK, people dying because they can't get enough heating. We've seen it in that energy-rich state of Texas. 200 people died during a wind drought. We see it with people mining cobalt for electric vehicles. These minerals are mined by children. These children are slaves. These children work until they die. And so if you prance around in your electric vehicle thinking you're morally superior, you are in fact promoting the murder of children in Africa. If you have solar or wind power, those components are made in China. Much of the solar panel industry in China is actually using Uyghur slave labour. So you can't take the high moral ground. You are actually, by going for green energy, you are supporting the killing of people. And you also the make the point... The most important murder is You also economy. make the point in the book... If you kill off an economy, sorry. that's it. Sorry, Ian. I mean, you make the point in the book that demonising coal-fired power murders human beings who are kept in eternal poverty without coal-fired electricity. And you then say the same governments murder forests and wildlife. With their bushfire policies, the same governments, you say, via policies which are rarely debated, murder economies and produce unemployment and hopelessness and the collapse of communities, disrupted social cohesion. This is all in the book. And as we've seen through coronavirus and through opposition to climate hysteria, they murder free speech. And you know all about that. That's the murder, isn't it? Yes, that's what I write about. And I also write about the fundamentals that this whole green murder is based on nothing. No one has ever shown that human emissions of carbon dioxide drive global warming. I've asked scientists, I've asked former chief scientists, I've asked journalists, I've asked politicians, just please give me half a dozen scientific papers that prove that human emissions drive global warming. No one's ever done it. And if they did, then you'd also have to show that the 97% of annual emissions that come from nature don't drive global warming. So the whole green concept of damaging hydrocarbons is demonstrably wrong. We also know that after, over the last 30, 40 years, when there's been a very, very slight increase in atmospheric carbon dioxide, we've had a greening of the planet, a greening of the deserts in North Africa, slightly better crop yields, partly due to additional plant food in the atmosphere, partly due to better fertilisers, partly due to genetic engineering and partly due to better farming practices. We also know from deep drill holes in the polar ice, and we've got more than 20 holes now that we can work with, that when we have a natural warming some 650 to 6,000 years later, we get an increase in carbon dioxide in the air. 
and this is actually exhaled from the oceans. So the whole foundations of the idea that human emissions drive warming, therefore we've got to do something about it, is absolutely wrong. And let's perish the thought. Let's think that I am wrong. Let's say, okay, let's look at the modern warming. How does that compare with past warmings? It's not as warm as in medieval times. It's not as warm as in Roman times. It's not as warm as in Minoan times. It's not as warm as in the peak of the interglacial that we're in. So we're in actually times that are quite cool compared with past warnings. We don't have a climate crisis. What we've got is a crisis in common sense and a crisis in honesty. Wonderful stuff. But this alarmism, Professor Plymer, not only is fostered by government, but by the media, by big business, the very big business, and takes over the education system. You talk about murder, it's murdering the intellectual and economic future of young people. And as you say, they terrify children into mental illness with their apocalyptic death cult lies and exaggerations. How do you address this? Well, we've had a 50 year dumbing down of the education system. Middle management in business is a product of that system. Our bureaucrats, our politicians, our teachers all came through that system. And that system doesn't teach people about history. It doesn't teach them about geology. It doesn't teach them how to think. It doesn't teach them how to critically analyse. So we now have a society of people who can be fed anything and they will accept it. And they do not have the weapons to be able to counteract the BS that they're fed. There are two ways that this could be addressed, and that is a complete revision of the education system, and that's not going to happen because it's a case of follow the money, follow the power. We've lost our education system. This has gone to the left activists. We've lost our bureaucracies. These are now full of left activists who, rather than fearlessly giving information to governments, they operate as activists. We've lost the media. The media now, especially the mainstream media, uh, are basically pursuing activism. They're not pursuing journalism. So I think that the only way, unfortunately, that these problems can be solved is to have a massive financial crisis, another recession or even a depression. And then people will say, well, how is it? We were incredibly wealthy and we've gone down the path of Venezuela or the path of Argentina. This is where we're heading with high energy costs, losing our manufacturing industry, losing our competitive edge and pushing people into hopeless unemployment. Well, it's, it's a sad future we it, face it is unless a sad future. we actually stand up and ask people simple questions. Like if they say, well, this is the wettest year we've ever had. The simple question you ask is, show me the evidence. Mm. But see, you talked about just going, taking a simple question. You just talked before then about high energy costs, high electricity. We once had reliable and cheap electricity. Just explain to our viewers what you're saying in your book about what has gone wrong. Well, what has gone wrong is that coal has been demonised. Now, coal has brought us from peasants into the health and wealth that we enjoy in today's world. We now have greater longevity, better food, better conditions of living, travel that no other generation has ever had. If we look at the last 20,000 generations of humans, it's only the last four generations where we have had an increase in longevity. And we've gone from 25 years to 78 years globally in four generations. That's due to coal. 
Coal has brought us out of misery and it's doing the same thing for China. It's bringing Chinese peasants out of misery. So coal has saved us, but coal has been demonised because it is burnt and that produces carbon dioxide, which goes into the atmosphere. And, of course, we all know that that, that causes warming. Well, show me the evidence. No one's ever shown that human emissions of carbon dioxide drive global warming. So we've demonised the coal industry and... If we make a large capital investment for a coal-fired power generator that operates 24-7 and has a 50- or 70-year life, then it will make money and it will be able to keep the wheels spinning in an industrial economy. But what we've done is we've pushed coal out of operating 100% of the time by having unreliable solar and unreliable wind. This has made energy much more expensive, and we know from what Denmark and Germany and others have done, Every time we increase the number of wind and solar facilities into the grid, the electricity price goes up. It doesn't become cheaper. It becomes more unreliable and more expensive. So coal was the perfect energy to bring us out of uh, a civilization where there were the elites and the peasants. And this is where we're going now. Absolutely. We see that there's a political elite growing and the rest of us are becoming peasants. Absolutely. See, to put it simply, the problem is supposed to be carbon dioxide. I have not spoken to a politician who could tell me what the percentage is of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. And I've, I've got to say, let me just say it again, it's about 0.04%. And of that 0.04%, then human beings around the world are responsible for 3%. And of that 3%, Australians, poor little Australia down here, is about 1.3 of 3% of 0.04%. I mean, it just doesn't make sense, does it, Ian Plymer? Anthony Albanese recently made a major speech on climate change, saying we have, this is where it's a once-in-a-lifetime chance to become a renewable energy superpower by transforming the country's old coal-dominated electricity grid, helping its regional allies to shift to net zero emissions and tapping booming green investments. Now, Professor Plymer, someone's written that stuff for him. Do you think he knows what he's talking about? No, of course not. He doesn't know. There's no industrialised country in the world that runs on sunbeams and sea breezes. It just doesn't have enough grunt to generate the electricity uh, that we need. And if you think that old technology uh, should be thrown out, then start with the oldest technology we use, which is called the wheel. We've been using that for five and a half thousand years. How would you survive without a wheel? How would you survive being able to travel from one part to another without a wheel. So the whole argument is is flawed and our politicians have no scientific background. Their advisors have no scientific background. They refuse to look at history. They refuse to look at economic history and they refuse to look at why Western civilization grew to be so powerful. So um, we're just being fed chatter that for me has absolutely no relevance to living in a a civilised society. See, you're, you're a peer-reviewed scientist. In other words, you've put your, your material on the line for others to say rubbish or not rubbish. But there are large bodies of scientists. They don't fit the narrative, but they've been ignored by the IPCC and by other scientists who are on government payrolls. I mean, surely, basically, you're saying in the book, we've got a huge subsidised industry of intermittent, unreliable wind and solar electricity that's been created based on unsubstantiated science. But many of these scientists are paid yes, for by the great. government. 
Yeah, that's the case. Look, follow the money. Always follow the money. Um, we have scientists who are eminently unemployable, are working in climate institutes. If they didn't get your taxpayers' money, uh, they wouldn't have a job. These are eminently unemployable people who have frightened governments witless about a climate catastrophe. There is no such climate catastrophe. The only climate catastrophe we might have, which I think we would survive, would be another ice age. The second thing is it's a power game. It's a game of power of one group of scientists who are basically mathematical modellers over another group like me that are natural scientists. We look at the what nature is telling us. We look at what is written in stone. We are, we are looking at the past. And the past tells us that we have cycles of climate. These cycles are every... 400 million years, every 143 million years, every 100,000, 40,000 and 20,000 years, every 10,000 years and 22 years, every 18.6 years. And these cycles are driven by natural processes. We can look right back in the past and see these cycles. And we are now trying to be told that we are living in such extraordinary times uh, that a trace gas is driving yeah. a major planetary process. Now, that trace gas Crap. was once 20% of the yeah. atmosphere. It is now 0.04%. That trace gas in the past has been sucked up and absorbed in limey rocks, in carbon-rich rocks, in fossils and in plants, in coal and in oil. So if you ignore the past, you can immediately invent some sort of catastrophe and this is what's happening. We are ignoring the past. We should follow the money. When we look at wind and solar power, they don't operate from nature. They only operate because of subsidies. And every time you look at your electricity bill, you should be saying, this is very high because I'm subsidising unreliable... Yep. Inefficient electricity. Yeah, but Ian, they now want to subsidise hydrogen and electric vehicles and batteries. I mean, they've, they've promised to do that. I mean, haven't we seen the failures of all of these policies in Europe and solar panels and wind turbines just enrich China? But here in Australia, we just plough well, on, eh? Well, look, it's wonderful. China doesn't need to invade us. Just let us keep doing what we're doing. We'll, we'll destroy ourselves. Yes. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's an incredible situation where we have subsidised power that's going to make uh, subsidised wind and solar, that's going to make subsidised hydrogen, that's going to then um, produce electricity. So you lose about 70% of the power um, to, to make hydrogen. Hydrogen doesn't occur naturally in rocks. You don't mine hydrogen. You have to make it by using energy, by converting one form of energy yeah. to another. We need nine litres of pure water to make one litre of hydrogen, one kilogram of hydrogen. Now, we're a water-poor country, and if we start exporting electricity that's made from our water, this is the doubly stupid thing to do. Firstly, it's expensive electricity, and secondly, um, the water is very, very uh, sparse in Australia. We don't have much water. But, Ian, just, just to people watching you now, and they're hypnotised by what you're saying, and they're grateful for the fact that you're saying it, but what they're saying is we've got thousands of years of raw materials under our feet, yet here we are heading for this self-sabotage of the national economy, and that's why you are charging the Greens with murder. Where is the end of the road on the, with this national economic suicide note? We're extremely fortunate in Australia. We have huge resources of coal, of gas, of uranium, and most of the metals we use in our life. We have 
great agricultural lands. We feed about 80 million people uh, from this uh, agricultural land and we are just killing ourselves off. Why are we doing this? Because we've let the left take over the narrative. They've taken over the language. They've taken over the education system. They've taken over politics. They don't care as long as they have power that, um, power mm. over you, mm. that they are wealthy and live Absolutely. in the inner cities. Mm. And we, we're seeing this now. The Green mm. Movement is not a movement of poor people. The Green Movement is a movement of wealthy people who are taking money from the poor and giving it to the wealthy people. This this is communism at its worst. Good on you. Good on you. Ian, well, listen, we're going to have you back. So don't worry, viewers out there. You've loved him and you can email me, but we'll have him back. And I want to raise with him the next time we speak as to what then is to happen when banks go woke and won't lend to businesses that might want to build a high efficiency, low emission coal fired power station. That's everywhere. Business, banks, big business, they're all the same. They're all singing from the same sheet. Ian Plymer, you get well. I know you've not been well. You're in our thoughts. Thank you for sharing the knowledge with us and inspiring us to understand that we're not stupid and we're not wrong. There's a whole army of people out there who agree with what you're saying. Thank you for being with us tonight. Thank you for giving me a voice. Not at all. Wonderful Australian, that fellow, isn't he? Professor Ian Plymer. It is inevitable that almost every day there will be talk about China and especially Taiwan. What is not widely commented upon is the fact that while China is the world's second biggest economy, it is now in a rocky economic period because of, amongst other things, COVID clampdowns. Reports today that China continues to enforce lockdown restrictions in areas around Beijing more intensively as it holds to this COVID zero policy. People are being locked in their homes, mass testing is taking place, and this President Xi believes stupidly he can eliminate the transmission of a virus that most of the world accepts is endemic. There's a lot at stake because Beijing is preparing to host its 20th National Congress of the Communist Party in November, a once in five years meeting where President Xi wants to secure a precedent-breaking third term in office. And Xi has made COVID zero policy a key tenet of his rule. But retail sales, industrial output and investment have all missed economist estimates. Profits at industrial firms in China fell in the first seven months of the year, but Xi is wedded to the strategy, which involves lockdowns after even a few cases have been detected. There is frequent mass testing and mandatory isolation of everyone infected. The International Monetary Fund last month cut its forecast of China's 2022 GDP growth to 3.3%, the slowest pace in four decades and below the government's 5.5% target. Last month, almost all the data from retail sales and manufacturing to investments missed expectations. 20% youth unemployment in cities, the highest on record. Then, of course, there's the record-breaking drought which has caused parts of the Yangtze River to dry up. The Yangtze is China's most important river, which provides water to more than 400 million Chinese people. And the loss of water flow to China's extensive hydropower system has created problems. Some states and cities get 80% of their energy from hydropower. It's a funny old world, isn't it? This climate change, which we were talking earlier to Professor Plymer about, you've got a record-breaking drought in China, Pakistan borders China, 
And as I speak to you tonight, one third of Pakistan is underwater and 500,000 people are living in camps after losing their homes in the flooding. The unprecedented monsoons in Pakistan have killed at least 1,130 people. Floods in Pakistan, bordering China, where there's drought, and it's all about climate change. They must think we're stupid. But back to China and us. Our economic fortunes are tied up to those of China. It's easily our largest two-way trading partner, accounting for about a third of all trade. In June, our exports to China, that's excluding Hong Kong, topped 16.3 billion. In fact, trade with China in June was about 140 times the level it was 40 years ago. Over and above all of this, China is battling to contain what could be the biggest property crash the world has ever seen, which would create a perilous moment for the country's communist leadership to say nothing of the global economy. In fact, China is reportedly facing a total collapse of confidence amongst ordinary people in the once buoyant housing market. Add to that the continuing ravages of Beijing's draconian COVID zero strategy and the extreme heat wave that's affecting the supply of power and food, and you've got a very significant economic downturn. Consider this, the Chinese housing market has driven growth in China for the past two decades. It now represents, that's the Chinese housing market, the biggest asset class in the world with a notional value of between 55 and $60 trillion, which is bigger than the total capitalization of the US stock market. But developers are now going broke after being deprived of easy credit. Prices are falling. Homeowners are refusing to pay mortgages on unfinished homes. And the slump in properties being sold and constructed is crippling local governments who rely on land sales for income. The problem for President Xi is the government has come so far down the COVID lockdown track and the crackdown on lending in the property market that Xi and his acolytes can't turn back because it would look like a misjudgment or a policy mistake. Now, with all that as background, it's surely fanciful in this environment to be talking about China and Taiwan. Despite threats and intimidation by Beijing and its military, Taiwan's resistance to unification only grows stronger. More and more people are identifying themselves as exclusively Taiwanese, not exclusively Chinese or both. More are showing support for independence. Given the threats to Taiwan and the deteriorating freedoms and rights inside China, it is a fair question to ask why anyone in Taiwan would want to go back to life under the authoritarian rule that they left behind decades ago. But as John Howard says in the excellent essay on this issue in his recent book, A Sense of Balance, quote, in a knockdown drag out fight, Taiwan would not be easy to subjugate. Moreover, he writes, a defeated and resentful Taiwan would prove a costly and resource consuming Chinese province, unquote. So in short, given the current state of the Chinese economy, it is hard to see how President Xi will be able to act upon his overt desire that Taiwan should become part of China. Well, look, let's bring in Peggy Grandy, the splendidly informed former assistant to the former American President Ronald Reagan. We know of the rank incompetence and cognitive deficiencies of President Biden. 
and the Democrats are struggling to find a replacement. So their number one mission is to destroy Trump and make sure he's not a candidate in the next presidential campaign. But as days pass, the Democrats' strategies look not only weak, but potentially corrupt. This will be very interesting. I've got Peggy joining us. Peggy, thank you for your time. Uh, has the wind been knocked out of their sails by this latest, or these latest, FBI revelations? Well, thank you as always for having me on, Alan. And we see the more this plays out, it's backfiring on them. And the more they're trying to expose Trump, the more they're exposing themselves and they're exposing the corruption and the politicization of these great, formerly great agencies of America. And in essence, they're handing this election to Donald Trump. It's his if he wants it, because even people who were very anti-Trump before have looked and said, Maybe he's right. Maybe there is a deep state and maybe this deep state is against half of America. And this is sad, you know, and dangerous because instead of going after real criminals, who are they going after? Half of America. Absolutely. We're seeing it for what it is. Absolutely. Well, now, Tucker Carlson, who is internationally acclaimed as a broadcaster in America, two days ago on American television, documented what he called the story that may have prevented Biden from becoming president. And this involves extraordinary behaviour by the FBI. Listen to this unarguable assertion by Tucker Carlson about the FBI inserting themselves into American politics on behalf of the Democrats at the last election. Listen to this. Now it turns out among those people is our largest and most heavily armed federal law enforcement agency. That would be the FBI. The FBI is not allowed to insert itself into domestic politics. That would violate the U.S. Constitution. It is completely illegal. But for several years, it has become increasingly clear that, that is exactly what the FBI is doing, actively working on behalf of the Democratic Party, mocking the rule of law, subverting our democracy from within, far more effectively than any foreign government ever could. So, Peggy, your thoughts on that? I mean, they're very strong sentiments, but sadly, they're accurate. Absolutely. And, you know, Tucker Carlson is not the only person that knew that there was truth to these original accusations that this Hunter Biden laptop was real. And, you know, the FBI and big tech, they all were in collusion about it. And really, all they wanted was to keep Donald Trump out of office. And they're trying now to keep him out of the White House as well. From day one, they were willing to lie about anything and everything. They would cover up anything just to prevent this man from being in the White House and going back to the White House. Absolutely. And it's sad, the lengths at which they were willing to go That's to true. cover up the truth. That's true. And Peggy just made a very valid point there. And I should say to my viewers, Peggy and I discussed this last year on television, and the threats were that you'd be cancelled if you raised this stuff about Hunter Biden. So, Peggy, we then got the Tucker Carlson assertion that the FBI pressured social media to kill the Hunter Biden laptop story. Listen to what Tucker Carlson has to say here. Yesterday, Weeks before the 2020 election, the FBI pressured social media companies to kill the story of Hunter Biden's laptop. Why? because that was a story that might have prevented Joe Biden from becoming president. That happened. That happened. And then, Peggy, and you and I talked about that at the time, but then Tucker Carlson proves the point. Here is Joe Rogan interviewing the co-founder and CEO of Facebook, Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg. Watch and listen to this. 
there was a lot of attention on Twitter during the election because of the Hunter Biden laptop story. The New York Post. Yeah, we Post. had that too. Yeah, so you guys censored that as well? So we took a different path than Twitter. Um, I mean, basically, the background here is the FBI, I think, basically came to us, uh, some, some folks on our team, and was like, hey, um, just so you know, like, you should be on high alert. There was the, we, we thought that there was a lot of Russian propaganda in the 2016 election. We have it on notice that basically there's about to be some kind of dump of, of, um, uh, uh, that's similar to that. So just be vigilant. So, Peggy, this is extraordinary. There is Zuckerberg telling us he's been tipped off by the FBI about the Hunter Biden tape and links it to you know, Russian disinformation. In other words, wink, wink, nod, nod. You shouldn't be interested in this. Be vigilant. Peggy, this is deep water. Well, how terrifying is it that he says says that the FBI came to him and this FBI that has always been respected is now suspect of everything. And, you know, they were in collusion and it's clear they were willing to do things that were illegal. They basically said we couldn't risk having Donald Trump in the White House. And so they were willing to stop at no lengths to do it. And in essence, what they were doing is they were interfering and obstructing the will of the American people. The American people had the right to vote for the person of their choosing. And post-election, the polling that came out, once the Hunter Biden story started coming out, it showed that it would have swayed a lot of political Mm. opinion. Mm. There's a lot of people who voted for Joe Biden that would not have voted for him had he known the Hunter Biden laptop stories were true and all the China cover-ups, everything that came out from that laptop. Absolutely. And and while you've summed that up splendidly, I thought I'd let our viewers hear Tucker Carlson providing a simple and accurate summary of that interview that you just heard with Zuckerberg. It is worth listening to Tucker Carlson. Listen to this. Oh, so Zuckerberg, just to be clear, you just saw it, but let's just unwind what we saw. Zuckerberg was asked, why did you censor the story about Hunter Biden's laptop. And he said, some folks from the FBI came to us and indicated there was about to be a dump of Russian propaganda. Now there's some rewriting of history going on in which some are claiming, some at Facebook are claiming actually, that the visit from the FBI had nothing to do with the Hunter Biden laptop. But the answer you just saw was in response to a question about the laptop and the censorship of it. And the answer was Russian propaganda, Russian disinformation. There we are. So, Peggy, everything about that was disinformation. And we've got we have time. We've got a couple of uh, cuts of all of that to demonstrate. So this is extraordinary stuff, isn't it? It really is. And so it shows that the FBI was willing to lie. And sadly enough, we see that this White House is willing to lie. And they do it in a way that makes people out to feel like they're fools because they don't really see what they see. They're not really hearing what they hear and they can't possibly believe the truth that they're hearing. But this White House is lying to our faces. There's nothing to see here. The FBI is lying to us. Media is lying to us. And the American people know better. They see what they see. They know what they hear. They know what they are experiencing. And this is all backfiring spectacularly on this White House, on this FBI, on the DOJ, and even on big tech and media. Yeah. People well, know that, the truth. That What Peggy's just said is very powerful stuff. Peggy has just said they're lying. Now, Tucker Carlson, it's worth hearing this, makes that allegation that the FBI have lied over the Hunter Biden laptop. In other words, it wasn't Russian disinformation. It was real because the FBI had the laptop. 
listened again to Tucker Carlson. So we wanted to know more. We reached out to Mark Zuckerberg after that interview, and he responded to us, to his credit. Zuckerberg confirmed that the FBI didn't put any of these warnings about Russian disinformation or propaganda in writing. Oh, well, of course they didn't. <laughs> Nothing in writing. And that makes sense. If you're the FBI, you wouldn't want to put that in writing because you were, of course, lying. At the moment, the FBI was warning Facebook about a propaganda dump that obviously would include Hunter Biden's laptop. They had Hunter Biden's laptop in their possession. So they knew perfectly well it was authentic, as anyone who looks at it does. We have looked at it, and it's instantly obvious this is real. And of course, we now know conclusively it is real. So, Peggy, why did the media fall into line and pursue the argument that the Hunter Biden laptop was just Russian disinformation? They were all singing off the same sheet of music. Well, they had bought into the lie and the cover up from day one. And by this point, they were so far into it, they couldn't admit they were wrong. And so they went back to their old playbook, which is everything that they are guilty of, they accuse the other side of. What did they accuse Donald Trump of? Being a Russian agent, an asset of Putin. Um, they called him a liar. They called him um, the source of disinformation. And that's what they do. They accuse the other side of everything they're guilty of. Everything they accuse Donald Trump of, he was not guilty of. But Joe Biden, his family, his son, his brother, many people in his orbit are all guilty of Absolutely. the very things they were accusing Donald Trump of. Absolutely. And Peggy's point there, you see, Russian disinformation. They were all singing off the same sheet of music. Just listen to this lot mimicking the same story. Listen to the language. Have a listen to this. A computer uh, store owner in Delaware who allegedly received Hunter Biden's laptop. That is more in line with the, when you think about somebody who's a useful idiot. That's kind of the entry point that is kind of, a, again, a classic indicator of the potential uh, presence of disinformation. Right-wing media has been focused on Hunter Biden, this laptop uh, that intelligence mm -hmm. officials have warned or is likely Russian disinformation. Law enforcement is actively investigating whether the alleged Hunter Biden emails are linked to any foreign intel ops. The story is preposterous. So we're supposed to believe that Hunter Biden in a drunken stupor dropped off his laptop in, I guess, apparently QAnon repair office. Peggy, this is staggering. This all, they just all use the same language. Dis Russian disinformation. Well, they think that if enough of them say it and if they say it often enough, that we're just going to believe it. And they make you out to be a fool. If you don't believe what they're saying because they are the arbiters of truth, then you must be a fool. And this is what they do. They constantly discredit or try to discredit anybody who breaks from the party line and breaks from the talking mm -hmm. points. And mm -hmm. they've done it from the very beginning, mm -hmm. whether it was with the Russian dossier, now with the laptop, the impeachment hearings, January 6th, you name it. They get in lockstep. They have this synchronized messaging. And if you don't believe it and buy into it full force, Absolutely. then you must be an agent of Putin too. See, you and, I, you and I last year discussed his Hunter Biden's business partner, this Tony Bobolinsky. And we raised this last year. But the business partner confirmed, that's the business partner of Hunter Biden, Tony Bobolinsky, confirmed on Fox News that this James Gilliatt wrote 
the now infamous email to Hunter Biden suggesting that Dad Joe would own a tenth of the interest in a deal with the Chinese oil company CEFC. This is all contained in a new book, Laptop from Hell, and Gilead is a former British Special Air Services officer. Here is Bob Alinsky explaining that Joe Biden, the President of the United States, was up for 10%. Watch this. On May 13th, that email was sent from James Gillier to me. I didn't generate that email. James Gillier generated that email. And in that email, James Gillier goes through intimate detail of what each individual's requests were from a compensation perspective and how the equity in the enterprise would be divvied up. Very important, May 13th, that email was generated by somebody else to me. In that email, there's a statement where they go through the equity, Jim Biden's referenced as you know 10%, doesn't say Biden, it says Jim. And then it has 10% for the big guy held by H. I 1,000% sit here and know that the big guy is referencing Joe Biden. Um, it's, that's crystal clear to me because I lived it. I met with the former vice president in person multiple times. And I had been meeting and talking with Hunter Biden and, and uh, Jim Biden and Rob Walker and James Gillier. Peggy, you just shake your head, Peggy, eh? The president of the United States now. Well, we know he's compromised. And, you know, these are the things we just do know. What about the things we don't know? And look who's more believable. Somebody like this who has everything to lose for up and speaking out like this versus who? Hunter Biden, who is a known crack addict and has other issues and problems and addictions that we've seen on video. I mean, we know exactly who to believe. And it just shows that everything is being politicized and everything's being weaponized. You know, the, the rest of America is made to feel stupid for believing somebody like this. And we're supposed to fall in lockstep mm -hmm. and just align with the media, yeah, well, big tech, DOJ, FBI, and this White House. They impeach, they try to impeach impeach Donald Trump, for goodness sake. Here's a bloke utterly compromised. So what does the FBI become, Peggy? It turns a blind eye to Hillary Clinton, raids the former president's home, and now we learn was actively involved in making sure the Hunter Biden laptop story never saw the light of day during the last presidential election and the media were complicit. Peggy. Yeah. Well, they're spending time on all the wrong things. They're not spending time on terror and crime, the things that they're supposed to do to make America safer and to make the world safer. And instead, they're using their power for political purposes. They're also shattering trust in some of America's longest standing institutions. And you wonder where this all ends. We never thought we would see something like a raid on the former president of the United States home with this heavily redacted affidavit that's supposed to give this illusion of all this ongoing criminal activity. I would be very curious to see what was redacted and it's probably not what we think. It's just, mm. it's just meant to give yep. an air of suspicion. So mm. the American people are losing great trust in these great institutions and it's really sad. And justifiably. Well done, Peggy. None better than you. Wonderful explanations. We'll talk again next week. There'll be more of it than by then, I have no doubt. But great to talk to you this week, Peggy. There she is. How informed, how articulate. Peggy yeah. Grandy, who worked, of course, for the former president, outstanding President Ronald Reagan. Before we go, a not surprising snapshot of the political class. On this program last week, I nailed the Teal Independent member for North Sydney, Kylie Tink, for declaring that Australia, quote, must keep up with the pace of the Europeans.
when it comes to the net zero suicide pact that the West has so foolishly signed up to. Obviously, Kylie Tink can't read or listen, otherwise she'd know something about what is actually happening in Europe. Never mind. Our climate crusader isn't putting her money where her mouth is. This morning, we learned Tink holds shares in oil and gas producers and refiners, as well as in one of the world's largest toll road operators, according to her statement of interests filed with the Australian Parliament. Her personal investment portfolio includes shares in Beach Energy Limited, which supplies, quote, approximately 12% of the gas on the east coast of Australia and is aiming to grow this to 16%, unquote, through a variety of onshore and offshore gas projects. It includes Viva Energy, which operates the Geelong refinery in Victoria, one of two remaining oil refineries in Australia. She also owns shares in Transurban, a company that makes a quid by tolling drivers who are operating on petrol and diesel. This is so funny, really. Internal combustion endings, what a dope. But Tink isn't copying any criticism for her blatant hypocrisy. In response to questions put to her, Tink claimed that she only bought the shares to engage in shareholder activism. According to her spokesperson, Tink, quote, purchased small shareholdings in a number of companies where she felt shareholder activism may be a way to both better understand the entities involved and potentially exert pressure from within to drive reform. In each instance, so her spokesperson said, Kylie's been very vocal in her desire to see change and reform and remains committed to exploring shareholder activism as a way to affect change. Mm. Well, I've said it before and I'll say it again. These so-called teal independents from the ritzy eastern suburbs and leafy lower north shore of Sydney are all the same. They're pushing a suicidal net zero agenda that won't affect them financially, but it comes at a great cost to the majority of the punters who are battling to pay for their mortgages, their groceries and their power bills. But when they're called out for their hypocrisy, they refuse to take responsibility and instead conjure up some pathetic excuse nobody at the local pub would buy. And their ideas are becoming more and more illegitimate and irrelevant given the, given the startling energy crisis that's being inflicted upon Europe. Just ask billionaire electric vehicle magnate Elon Musk. This week, Musk said, quote, civilization will crumble, unquote, if the world suddenly halted the use of oil and natural gas. He told his Finnish audience that the Scandinavian nation should ramp up exploration for oil and gas. Now, this comes only seven years after the same man, Elon Musk, said our current dependence on fossil fuel was the dumbest experiment in history by far and warned that the society would, quote, come to an end, unquote, if the world didn't stop burning fossil fuels. So there you have it. People are finally waking up to this net zero nonsense. But it looks like Australia is deaf and we can thank hypocrite politicians like Kylie Tink. But I suppose, look around Parliament House, Tink is not on her own. Well, that's it from me for tonight. Thank you for your company. Fred Paul is up next. I'll be back tomorrow night at eight o'clock. You are watching ADH. I'm Alan Jones. Good night.